Hello, and welcome to the Old Farm Bus Podcast. This is the Back of the Bus Session. Hello and welcome to the Old Farm Bus Back of the Bus Sessions podcast. Today, I'm absolutely buzzing about this guest. She's an old friend from the poetry scene and now she's back in my life in the podcasting days to talk about poetry. So welcome aboard, Georgina Wilding. Together again. Mate. (laughs) Over a brew as well. (laughs) Over a brew, I'm with you. I'll tell you what, not many people go for the cheer, but I'm glad you got the energy and the vibe to go in with me. Listen, it was the donkeys. Yeah, they, yeah. They spurred me on, meeting those donkeys before we came in here, that's it. <laughs> Good vibes only. So how have you been keeping in these wild and crazy and changing times? You know what? It is different from one week to the next. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes one day to the next. On the whole, I think I'm all right. You know, I'm staying afloat, my bills are paid, I'm doing a bit of gardening, my houseplants have all survived, my cat is around and beautiful you know but you're, you're looking all right Thank you're, you're you. glowing oh it's just makeup babe just yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't let it the fool you there. <laughs> today we're, we're, i'm gonna hold up the book yes, we're, we're gonna really? chat about the book but before we go on to the book yes i want to really get into you as a person who you are deal and the whole poetry trajectory mm-hmm. were you writing from a really young age nope Really? Yep, absolutely. Okay, not. can yeah. we go to young you? One hundred percent. So, what should we? Do? What should we do? Like, like secondary school me? Let's go really young. Really we've got. Young. We're on a podcast, so we've Yo, got let's... a long time all okay. day. Okay, deal. Free flow. Right. Okay. So, God, where to? Where do I even start? So, Your birth. The yeah. true you. I was born on a yeah. Sunday. <laughs> Don't. So I'll get my birth chart out. Here we go. Let's get the crystals going. Oh, mate, I'm already ready for that. Honestly, I've told you. You need to educate me on this. So. I would. Well, I'll do my best. I'm new to it, you know. But I'll I'll do my best. Um. So I grew up in Nottingham, born and bred. Um. Lived in Arnold almost all of my life, apart from the first few years of my life. I lived in Worksop for a little bit with my mum and my dad. And then mum and dad went their separate ways. So mum moved back in with her family. And for a year or two, we were super posh and lived in West Bridgeford. Oh, girl. Yeah. There's like, you know, 12 of us in one house. But <laughs> we had, you know, a little hook up there. But, you know, as things go, um, my grandparents had to move and we ended up in Arnold. Um, and so... Like, that was great for me because it was closer to, like, a school that was good for me and, like, Mm. you know, normal, everyday people that were, like, my kind of vibe. Um, And then when I was, like, six-ish, my mum met my stepdad and so we moved in with him and that's, like, a whole thing. But I lived with them until I was about 12 and then moved in with my grandparents. Um, They kind of, like, took me in because things were going a bit left field at home, as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm. Um, And... I kind of spent, do you know what? I spent most of my teenage years just like angry. Mm. Um, I couldn't, I, I couldn't settle. I was just like vibrating. I thought I was vibrating all the time, looking for lots of like external validation. I was so in love with this boy who, looking back, was terrible for me. We spent four years together, and it was just carnage. Um, oh. So school for me was just, it was like a bit of a respite, actually, where I could go hang out with my mates. I had brilliant teachers, thank the Lord above. I had a lot of female teachers, and my family, so 
my grandpa my grandparents have got five kids, wow. four of which are girls, and then my uncle Pete is married to the most incredible woman on the planet, who is you know also a huge um, inspiration. Getting for me, a big so. shout out now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, Auntie M. Yo, <laughs> um, Auntie so, M. Yeah, oh, oh, she's amazing. She's literally like a son. Is like she a in um, a Lord, not Lord of the Rings? What's that? I know exactly what you're yeah, going to say. Oh, yeah. um, oh, for God's sake, somewhere. Over the rainbow. What is that bloody film? Uh, Wizard of Oz. Yes, thank well, you. You did the uh, W sign. You were like, ooh, and I was yeah, like, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it was there. It was on the other <laughs> it side. It is on, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. Yeah. I've no, got good vibes babe. for this woman. I understand Trust that. Me, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so lucky, you see, because all of my aunties, so we've got Auntie M, Auntie Jess, Auntie Barb, Auntie Di, mm-hmm. and they're all like, so different types of women, different influencers, but they're all strong in themselves. Mm. So I had them to kind of bring me up so as grandma and granddad took me in my grandparents are flipping brilliant but they are like the grandparents from benadorm you know yeah they were just out getting drunk partying whenever they could <laughs> you know we didn't have like knitting and sunday dinners you know we were, were a party family and grandma's one of like 13 siblings wow so it would always be her brothers like what i would call my uncles around and you know sounds like there was a lot of fun in the family emanating and that comes into your character now to be fair that shows testament thank you thank you so much yeah they are absolutely my life raft definitely so yeah in school you know i kind of i had them to run to if i you know if things were getting bad Mm. but I, i couldn't have given a flying fuck about education or really whatever i was just wanted to like you know be liked by my teachers and did my best um but it wasn't you said until... you had validation in your life there so yeah i'm always searching for that even now which i know god forbid you shouldn't we'll, but... we'll work keep working on ourselves and through ourselves yeah exactly do you put that on quite young then when your mum and dad broke up and experiences that you were going through in home life yes I unfortunately yeah and then a couple of shit boyfriends into the mix yeah probably so um I was to be honest I was I think anyway that I was too young to really remember my mum and dad splitting up yeah and I've only got flashes of memories of living at my dad's really small like funny images um so really like my mum I don't I'm not sure how old I was when my mum met my stepdad mm. but we moved in to his house at six so you've got to imagine like my memories from like let's say naught to five and a bit yeah was living in this house full of my grandparents all of my aunties wow. all of my grandma's brothers it was this full lively just rich conversations yeah oh my god and always laughter and someone had always done something someone had always got you know a pair of shoes off the back of a van for school you know (laughs) it was that kind of vibe um you know joyous I'm sure I was a little terror even then I used to think oh my god I used to have an imaginary boyfriend I thought I could fly and there's one occasion I actually I do think I did fly okay (laughs) nice yeah we need to get into that what about the the anger where do you think that sort of transcended from uh yeah what do you attribute to that I think it really comes from my experience of dealing with you know moving out of my grandparents house moving into the house with my mum and my stepdad unfortunately um he's somebody who isn't from the same background as we were from um isn't in my humble opinion you know the kind of person I would choose to have a pint with I Let's, get you. You know what I'm saying? That's a good way, a PC way of uh, you know what I mean? dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, okay. you, you feel me. Um, and, and when you say school was respite, yeah. 
any bullying or things like into the mix there or did you feel quite free in terms of school no when I was so when I was really young so how old is that when I got to year six I was moved to a school in Killisick Killisick primary school and that was the first place I found like happiness found peace found friends before that I was in a couple of um Catholic schools around Nottingham um and got bullied there and it was very it was like weirdly guys that were bullying me um um and quite authoritarian in its approach yeah but also very like come on everybody let's just hold hands and calm calm down and I'm like like, great thanks cheers you know Hail Mary and all that shit so so that was great Um, what were you demonstrating and displaying that you had interests in then if sort of writing and poetry and academia wasn't there what what were you demonstrating? It was always art from okay. being a really, really young What about age. drama? Because you've got such a personality, Thank excitable you. personality. Was that you know what? Yeah. performance? So I was like, I was auditioning for, what is that flipping casting thing that was in uh, Lace Market? What the flipping heck was it? I can't remember. Some drama school anyway that yeah. was like out of school. Helen O'Grady? No. No, I went like to Helen O'Grady's. Casting. I yeah. don't know. I can't remember. It was a long bloody time ago. And I got through and then I bottled it and my mum, you know, bless her heart, she would never force me to do anything. So she didn't make me go. So I, you know, but then I, when I got to secondary school, I was in a couple of plays and like, I won a talent show for singing, which I wear as a badge of honour. What, what do you think as a parent? What about the forceful nature? Is it good to push them through it a little bit or does that give repercussion to stuff? Do you know what? I could not tell you. I yeah. don't know. I don't have kids of my own. Um, all Be- of like... Being the kid, though, in that story, do you wish you would have sort of pushed you a little bit more and nurtured that? The thing is, in hindsight, I... The word push scares me, right? Yeah. The word push scares me. In hindsight, I wish that maybe my mum sure. had, like, the skills <laughs> to have gone, listen, babe, like, it's going to be really good for you. You're so going to enjoy it. Sort of, like, built my confidence up because it was just from a place of fear that, that That's I a good attitude. It, you know? I like that. So not pushed me, but I just maybe wish that she might have had the resources to know how to calm me down bring mm. me around and encourage me in Equip that way you with confidence yeah yeah i don't yeah. think you can force confidence into people you can't and my mum bless her she's very timid yeah she's a very like um i mean she's funny and she's cute and whatever you know but she's just a very like wallflower so then you know bless Orchid. her she got me and i was like yeah you know, <laughs> this is my imaginary boyfriend and my imaginary rabbit and she's like what is going how on? did that happen that's <laughs> i don't know his name was Why? george okay what how, like is that weird because i'm george that's mm. weird um but weirdly my first boyfriend in school which is also crazy because i would have been really young was called George Ooh. and he was Greek and his family owned the chip shop down the road and they were friends of my family. So we came like... You wished George into being, didn't you? I think That's I manifested kind of what happened. him. Yeah, Ooh. I do. Yeah, he This was manifestation stuff <laughs> seems to be a little bit more deep-rooted than I imagined yeah, it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But you know what I have always, even now, I really struggle with. I think if you're the kind of... Wait, this is a generalisation. Mm-hmm. Just take me with a pinch of salt, but... Mm. I think if you're the kind of person that is drawn to manifestations, crystals, willing thing to come, willing things to come to you, I think that there's a part of you, big or small, that is a person that suffers with longing mm. in general and from being tiny. 
that is something that really, really just took over my life. And when my mum met my Longing. stepdad, yeah, mm. just feeling like you're reaching for something. Mm. Uh, you, you know, you might not know what you're reaching for, but there's just this like, like vibrating. Could you articulate it now? What you think that reach was for? Do you know what? It, it's different. It seems to be different every year of my life. So yeah. when I was really young and we lived with my stepdad, home was horrible. And on occasion, my dad would call and say, I'm going to come and pick you up. And we'll like hang out for the weekend. And, you know, I'd pack my bag and I'd be sat at the door desperately waiting to see his car come down the hill. You know, and he wouldn't turn up. And oh, bless you. My mum would bring me the landline and be like, I promise you I'm ringing him. And she'd show, like, I'd have the phone to me and, ring and it wouldn't answer and... So I would just have to, you know, come back home and oh, pack mate, my bag that and got my stuff Honestly, it was awful. And oh. you can you imagine, like, a... home's not happy. And you, you, even though, you know, my dad's great and we're really good mates yeah. now. But when you're a kid, you don't understand. Is that part of where maybe the validation Definitely. side came from? 100%, so 100%. Somebody to love you. Yeah. Because if you imagine, I'm also at home with a stepdad who doesn't really have any experience with women. Yeah. Definitely not little girls. Definitely not mental little girls that mm. just want to be loved. And have <laughs> and imaginary you know, boyfriends yeah, and animals. Yeah, <laughs> and a sassy. And if yeah. you tell me to do something, I, you know, I feel like I was born being like, why? What do you mean? I'm not doing that. You know? In terms of the friction, what would? how would he demonstrate that? What would he display? Just shout or yeah. aggression? Yeah. Mm. But he's very tall, very wide, uh, very... Has a very big um, aura. Okay, yeah. Um, Energy know. and frame. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, knew how to get into my face. Yeah, knew, I get knew... you. Intimidation. Yeah, knew what to say and how to say. It would mimic my parents, mock my parents even, mock, you know, my relationship with my dad. He wasn't particularly forthcoming. Don't get me wrong, he didn't have a great time growing up either from what I've heard and that's a very conscious way of listening and thinking about it isn't you know, it so now that I'm older they call it like generational trauma don't they yes. and it just keeps cycling on yes. and on and on yeah so. I think that's the only way to break free from it isn't it yeah understanding they're doing the best with the tools that they got equipped with well I wouldn't say there was anything best about what was happening yeah, whilst I, I was okay, there I get you know you. even not with me now but he's got his own kids with my mum mm. who you know, obviously they're his kids and they have their own complexities that they're, you yeah. know, all working through. Would so. you say that do, he's doing what he can do with the tools that he got equipped with then? Maybe. Yeah, I see. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem to me like there's a whole lot of much being done. Yeah, but, I feel, yeah. you know, you know. He just did. You can't judge. <laughs> I don't know what it, would, what it was. Unconscious like. behaviour demonstrating all the time. Yeah. And probably, like we spoke about in the other bus, lots yeah. of characters coming up. Exactly. And putting them forward and imposing them onto you. Yes, which I think is why I was so, like, by the time I hit... So mum met him when I was six. By the time I hit 13, I was getting battered on the park. Oh, good God, I had my own voice. I didn't. I had such a chip on my shoulder. Um, I was always getting grounded for stuff that I didn't do. The, the infamous story in our family is the, the chip in the bath. There was a ch the, the bath paint got chipped off so you could see like the copper or whatever it is underneath the bath. Yeah. I got blamed for it. And I swear on my life, on my cat's life, it was not me. Yeah. It was not me. But whoever had done it... You heard it here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't me. The chip She's in the back was not me. It's definitely not her, You know, okay? I got grounded for like six weeks and it, no matter how many times I said, I'm telling you, it wasn't me, he would say, 
nobody else would be smart enough to wash the chips of paint down the plug hole. And then I was like, well, you don't know me, mate. Because if it was me, I'd have glued glued the the chips back on. I ain't done. You know, so there was always that. He was always trying to put me down. I was always getting my back up. Mm. We were very, we were just constantly at loggerheads. And, you know, my mum being so timid, it was hard for her. So when you were 13 and going on to the park and not saying this it was at all good parenting in any way yeah, yeah go but on. do you attribute a little bit of why you could stand up to yourself to the behavior that was demonstrated there and not that you wanted that in your life but you had some some sass and some yeah. being able to get in faces a yeah. little bit because you'd seen that demonstrated trust me not that when it's you're healthy home, at all. absolutely imagine like I mean, I'm only five foot three now. Yeah. I was a tiny little slip of a thing. And you have got a six foot yeah, time, yeah. like, rugby playing no, it's awful. chunk. Mean... You ain't scared of no one. Yeah. You yeah. knock me out. Absolutely knock me out. You know. Because there's obviously there's bigger at home, a, a lot I mean? of tr- triggers within that and a lot of subconscious yeah. dealings there. Yeah. Which is why I was so angry for so yeah, long. Okay. Which is why I was so... God, all I wanted was to be loved and cherished because I didn't feel loved and cherished anywhere not by my dad not by my mum not by my stepdad of course I had my aunties but they all had young kids and they all had their own lives so I couldn't be with them and it was hard for them because they didn't want to look like they were stepping on anybody's toes mm. you know there was like a when I got taken in by my grandparents there was like a, you know it was like a bloody family intervention because yeah. they were like you, you know she can't she's I mean my grandma always says if we didn't come and get you and, and make sure that you had somewhere to live and be, you would have been dead or yeah. on drugs or... This is why I know. love these conversations, because when we do eventually get into the poetry, yeah. I feel like I've truly understood who you are. So when listening and reading into different poems, yeah. you can get a good reflection of who that character might be talking in that time. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. But then, yeah. okay, so you got taken in by your grandparents yes uh, who are yeah 13-ish 14 awesome and I lived with them until I was 18 and although I I mean even still now I struggle with like anger seems to be my first reaction and then I have to calm myself down and be like you ain't in fight or flight anymore let's relax but living with my grandparents and being in this vibrant like loving hilarious home yeah it wasn't the traditional home by any means you know we had frozen kebab in the freezer you know we were living the dream that's such a vile image trust me it was grim my granddad (laughs) will eat anything was it that kebab that stringy stuff yes do you know what that is meat wise no it's just an amalgamation of everything, isn't it? Just it? a ground just up. Just chuck it in there. Yeah. Put it on a big stick. A bit of salt and pepper, <laughs> Yo, you know. <laughs> oh, mate. No, imagine going in the freezer and there was a soggy cardboard box <laughs> and you pull it out and there's like clear wrapping and yeah. inside there's like frozen naan oh, bread. Oh, mate. And sometimes frozen. when you eat it, you end up eating the paper by accident because it's all so just crazy. stuck together yes. with grease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate. yeah. So, know. you know, you can imagine. Like, yeah. It was the most fun and I love them and my grandparents will never, I will never be able to articulate to them, you know, the change that they made for my life. But living with them, although that was very much the time where I was going out drinking, doing things with boyfriends I shouldn't have, sneaking out the back of the house into the park, you know, all of that, they gave me the space to calm down Mm. took me a long time and I still was not calm by the end of it god but from what I was when I was living with my mum and my stepdad my grandparents gave me that sense of home stability I'm not I I wouldn't be walking home from school dreading what I was going to walk into oh that's beautiful dreading what I was going to get in trouble for or you know you've got a temple home should be temple shouldn't they yes 
absolutely and and it's difficult because now as an adult I feel so guilty and ashamed that they had to deal with me Mm. at that age and that that personality and that flipping wild making stupid decisions going out drinking and not that well Hor- touch wood, I didn't at get that caught. time as well for a young female must be yeah. all over the place and, you, and when you're struggling discovery. with validation you yeah. know where you're gonna you're gonna look to find it it's I not feel the yeah. not the best place to turn to you know oh bless boys, you et yeah of course boys girls and we're idiots you know? <laughs> oh, we are. We're so uh, can you try and articulate a little bit of how they brought calm and contentment into your life yeah definitely they weren't so they they weren't um nurturing Mm. in the sense of like you imagine a traditional grandma and grandparent to be like they weren't do you want a biscuit darling darling." oh well granddad was definitely a feeder (laughs) (laughs) but they weren't like you know how was your day at school and how are you doing and not that kind of nurturing but they just they they Cut me some slack. Allowed you to process and express yourself. They understood what I'd come from because they'd seen it and, you know, they'd seen what was happening. How did they intervene and go about the intervention? And was it your mum's side, sorry? It is my mum's side, side. yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad wasn't really in the picture very much until I was was, uh, quite a bit older. Well, you know, he was a bit, but he was busy, he was on call, you know, he's a joiner. Yeah. Um, Right, so, obviously I'm kind of too young to remember i remember the day yeah but i have since been told how it happened from different family members perspectives but you speak to a different one you get a slightly different story story, right so my auntie jess who is the youngest of the aunties so we're closest in age mates is the light of my life and she's like my sister and she used to come and get me every friday and i would spend every friday at her house with her like boyfriend at the time um and we'd have pizza and whatever and she would see the states that I was turning up in. She would see, you know, my hair's not been washed for two weeks. She would see no one's helping me brush my teeth. I've got like teeth rotting at the back. She would see uh, like I'm tiny. Why are you, what are you eating? And then she would also hear the stories of what I was, you know, in a safe place and telling her this is what's happened at home. This is what's been said or whatever. Um, And I've obviously as I got older and got more lippy and was fighting back with my stepdad and, you know, the whole home dynamic, my mom and all of that. It always, it was up a notch, up a notch, up a notch. Um, Unbeknownst to me, obviously at that age, my auntie Jess was going to the rest of the family, including the grandparents and saying, we need to get her out. Mm. Apparently, you know, Jess was like, I will adopt her. I will adopt her. I'll look after her. If she don't, you know, if she's not being looked after at home, I'll take her on. You know, she was my guardian angel and and still is to this day. Um, So... Switching back to then my memory of it, and can we trust memory? You know, it always changes every time you retell a story. Yeah. From my memory of it, there was some big argument. I was in trouble again. I think it had something to do with a laser pen that my dad brought me. But I don't know if that's a different thing and it's been tied together. But anyway, (laughs) I remember locking myself in the bathroom. I pegged it upstairs, locked myself in the bathroom. My step was trying to, you know, banging on the door. My mum's shouting me and whatever. And I'm like, I'm not coming out of the bathroom. And I managed to swipe the landline, because, you know, wireless landline, and rung my aunt Jess. And obviously she heard all the commotion in the background. I'm crying. She was like, that's it. I'm going. I'm getting her. So her and her fiancé at the time got in the car, turned up at my mum's, didn't even knock. Opened the door. 
Auntie Jess, who is a firecracker, is, you know, straight in, right to the middle of the situation. Get the fuck out of the way. Don't talk to her like that. George, get in the car. I'm with Uncle Steve-O. Um, so we get in the car, you know. And then I don't really remember what happened after that. Then it's all a blur. Yeah. Then the next thing I remember is moving into my grandparents, which was a really painful situation because you could tell that my granddad... He's, it's his eldest daughter. My mum mm. is his eldest daughter and I'm the first grandchild. So he's struggling because it's a difficult situation. Also, I'm fa- by then I'm already fiery. So people didn't necessarily believe completely that what I was saying was true or mm. there was so, it was so complex. So I remember moving in and my grandma being the you know gem that she is, but granddad was very conflicted. He was lovely. God, if you meet my granddad, he's a gem on this earth. Like, good God. He comes to my gigs. He buys strangers pints. Like, oh, mate. he's an angel. But it was a difficult situation for him. So, so you know, he was complex with me moving in. So I, I kind of started off on that foot knowing I'm fucking things up for everyone. Nobody's Nobody has seen or been in what I've been in. Sometimes the things things were so hard to explain. Mm. Like, I've got a silly memory etched into my brain, right? So, for example... Don't know, I don't know why I was doing this, but I drew a drawing of a bomb shelter. Why did I do that? I don't know. And I can't spell to this day, which is funny as a writer. I can't spell. You know. So I remember going into the living room at my mum's house and, and asking them both, how do you spell shelter? And my stepdad was like, you can spell bomb, but you can't spell shelter. Huh. You know, just little things yeah, like that. They yeah. were the little every day. You're supposed to be a guide and you know a wisdom I mean? giver. Oh, not at all. No. There was always any jib that just could be Just knocking you down, never feeling good enough. Yes, and that was the 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 the, the lowest. Um, what's the saying? Rung on the ladder. Is that mm. the saying? The lowest yeah. step on the ladder. And it, you know, so it was then hard to be living with grandma and granddad, feeling shame that I've upset granddad and feeling shame that I know all the family are rallying around and my mum's in pain but resenting her because you saw it you were there yeah you know it all it was just such a a whirlwind which is why I think it took me so long I mean into my early 20s I was still doing some stupid stupid stuff you know really? and it took me ages to just settle and realize you're not under attack anymore you've got your own life Mm. you can choose who you interact with you can choose who you see you now need to cultivate a future for you that that little girl you know seven eight nine ten crying in a bedroom i used to look out the back of my mum and peter's window um and it would be the view of arnold i don't know if you know arnold very well but there's this one big building and it used to be a i can never say this word brewery yeah, brewery. brewery. A brewery. What a horrible word. It is an awful word Isn't to it? say. Brewery. Yeah. It used to be a, you know, where they make booze. Yeah. <laughs> and um, on the top of it, it's got this big neon sign and it's a big neon N with the Nottinghamshire logo and it says home of the best, N. Mm. And I used to pray to it. Really? I used to sit on my bed crying, praying out of my window. Why I thought it was magic, I don't know, but I did. And pray. I used to say like, God and my angels, get me out. Wow. Get me out, get me out, get me out. And that manifested. You know what I mean? That sense of longing from being a kid, that sense of feeling like there were powers beyond me. There was, whether it was a guardian angel, whether it was a a god, whether it was relatives that passed, I didn't know. With this sort of laws of attraction idea and discovering this later on in your life now, do you look back at parts of your life where you unconsciously sort of put out into the universe and you sort of reflect back going 
Oh, wow. 100%. That genuinely happened. And it's happened Mm. to me numerous times as an adult. There was a relationship I was in in my mid-20s. We lived together. It was going really south, really south. But we lived together. And I was so unsure. I'm very like, it takes ages for me to make a decision, which ends up getting me in way more trouble than it should. I should just cut it. Mm. But obviously I didn't, you know. And I remember being sat on my doorstep. So what am I, 24, 22? maybe even 23, I'm sat on my doorstep, I've got my duvet around me and a fag on, (laughs) classic, you know, (laughs) and I was looking up to the stars and I was crying and I was like, please God, you need to get me out because I can't get out, I can't do this myself, Mm. I need you to get me out and lo and behold, a situation unraveled in a few months time and I was out, done. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really believe that... I don't know what it is. I, I Did feel he most get himself out then? Yes. Oh. On the day of a family funeral, let me tell you. Dude. I went to the wake in the morning, came home, finished my shift at work. Between my shift at work, because obviously I couldn't wear my funeral thing at work, yeah. I quickly came home to get changed and his stuff was gone. And he said he'd gone home because he wanted a break. Huh. And I said, fucking stay gone. Yo. Thank you, Jesus. On the day of a funeral. Fair. So then I went to the, the Thank you, wake. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, had a obviously great time horrible time wakes they're so complex aren't they because Mm. you've got all of your extended family your huge tribe there you're grieving but you're together it was a real it's a a mixture of emotions yeah it is all thrown into the mix together yeah absolutely Mm. so then i went home to an empty house and was like right here we go fresh start yeah let's do this stunning yeah what such a phenomenal story (laughs) I'm just wondering, I remember you were talking in the bus again and yeah. you said about your mum there just watching it happen. Yes. Have you got a poem in that book called Ants? Yes, I have. Could, yes. Would you perform that? Oh my gosh, it, I would absolutely love to. Would you be into it? Yeah. Because I, I feel, given a, a bit of a context of the poem and the story that you've just told, yes. it would grow, build a really great sort of feeling towards this poem. I would love that because, you know what, you know what I'm guilty for, which all of my mentors have told me throughout my writing career, is um, over-explaining. Yeah. I'm desperate to explain. I'm desperate to be understood. I'm desperate to say, this is what I mean by this, this is what I mean yeah. by this. Um so I've got to fight the urge now to explain what this is about before I read it. Well, we've I'll already do done that. So. <laughs> you know, hopefully now... That's you what know. a podcast is for. Yeah. When you're on a stage, I think it's nice to just let people do their own digging and yes. find a metaphor for themselves. But yes. I think within a podcast format, that's a space where you are allowed to explain uh, yes, a little Yes, it's like through. a secret door, isn't it? Yeah. Into the behind, Into the behind the work. Yeah, so this poem on the surface is... Like, I mean, I love it, obviously. Mm. It's like a really crazy, surreal, kind of magic realism poem that you would just maybe read and think, oh, okay. Mm. But now you know the feelings behind it. Maybe it will. Oh, I'm ready. All right, here we go. So, ants. This is a garden with a plastic dollhouse full of snails. Her chubby hands hold them like pebbles, trace the spiral of their shells as if a map to the exit. There's a seesaw but one side's resting in an ant's nest. Before long, the red biters are up and over her jelly sandals. They cut skin and spray acid in the wounds as they work their way up. The neighbours hear the screams before anyone else. Blindly batting at her body, bright and pocked, pieces of her are ripped off and carried to the colony until, in the long grass, a pair of jelly sandals rest empty. The mother 
spends two weeks with a glass held from her ear to the lawn and a copy of Understanding Ants, becomes addicted to the smell of rain and listening to the sound of them regurgitating her daughter for their young. Wow. That, actually, that really got me. From what Thank we've just you. been through and the whole build-up of the story to that, Thank is you. so stunning and that does show testament to how powerful poetry is yes and what poetry can be thank you so much we, we, we'll go more into the poetry side but <laughs> I, there is still little elements of the story that i want to sort of get into yes so please. you're at your grandma's house yes they're allowing you to be yourself express mm-hmm. yourself find a bit more peace in yes. the house yeah did you still have communication with your mum and stepdad in this time occasionally not really but you know occasionally because obviously my mum would come to see my grandparents they're her parents um and you know grandma and granddad bless them were always striving to facilitate uh like reparations between me and my mum you know they mm. always wanted to they always encouraged me like oh your mum wants to take you to town like why don't you go for a shopping day with your mum and it was always so difficult for me because it, it you, you know it's your mum you're mm. always going to be conflicted um but they sort of know the importance of that relationship yes, building within yeah, it they do they do I, I mean it was for as much for her as it was for me i yeah. think you know um but i she, you know she didn't she didn't come around she didn't from memory remember that was a time where I was literally vibrating yeah on the inside you know but from, from my experience from my memory she wasn't there you know mm. you didn't go to like parents evenings or and in the wonderful character that you are now as a human <laughs> have you managed to process it digest it and have conversations surrounding it with her uh, well, we haven't had conversations surrounding it. Very recently, and I'm talking within the last probably two months, oh. she came to me um, to express something that she was kind of feeling. And, you know, she wanted me to know that how everything turned out was never what she wanted. Wow. And I said, I, I, I always knew that. It was, that was never it. Um, and it was a real moment for me. We were in a cafe and I remember thinking... I remember feeling like I was, again, vibrating weird, I know, yeah. but like I was heightened and I felt like proud that I was able to comfort her and myself. It wasn't, because normally That's you're people pleasing, aren't you? Yeah. But I was able to say, listen, I love you and I know that that's not what you wanted, but mm. it didn't serve me. I would have been gone however I could have gone. Mm. And it just so happened that I'm fortunate enough that I had a family to step in and look after me. But if I had been in a hostel, I would have gone. If I had to so many people. Do you know what I mean? This is why I feel so incredibly lucky. No one could have ever predicted that I would have been in this position now. I didn't even want to do my A-levels. That that attitude stops you from being the victim as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And also, again, when you grow up, you realise, like, you realise so much. I realise what my mum is contending with and her personality and a little bit of who she is and... You know, I can empathise to an extent with my More stepdad. You know. you feel. Yeah, it must have been difficult for him taking on a girl. He's not got much experience with girls. And, you know, I can... I mean, it's took a long time, let me tell you. Like, writing this book, really. Uh, this has been... I mean, the poems in here have been coming for a long time. But really, only the last two years I spent solidly on this. So, having that space to kind of 
free yourself mm. and say, listen, what happened to you happened to you and it hurt and it was wrong and you were a kid and you should never have had to go through that. But being able to let go of some of that like crippling, yeah. how could you do that to me? How could you not have loved me like I was a kid? You know, letting go of some of that frees you up to mm. then experience new feelings. And and like you say, when you begin to understand their story, yes. have you looked into extrapolating thoughts and ideas surrounding the breakup with your dad? Was that quite a strong thing? And that kind of maybe broke a part of her and... She ended oh, yeah. up becoming a different person. It's there's so much to life, and you can't make generalizations. It's true, yeah, there is. But have you managed to dig into that story a little bit more and gone, oh, this makes a bit more sense now? Why she was irrational and yeah. became this person? You know what? Again, it's different depending on who you ask. I ask my dad why they broke up. He has one story. I ask yeah. my mum why they broke up. She has another story. Always three truths, aren't you know, there? Exactly. Yours, theirs, and the real one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Preach to that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, but okay. I remember growing up always feeling like, but then you're a kid, aren't you? You always want your mum and dad to get back together, don't yeah, you? Yeah. But I remember feeling that, you know, even though my mum was with this other man, that she still loved my dad and yeah. she would, you know, make sure she looked nice when he came to pick me up. I get Did you. I make that up in my mind? I don't know, but, you know, I grew up feeling that way. So um, it's, it's built a lot of strength into you. You feel luck because you had a family there. Oh my God, unbelievable. Then where was the moment of poetry? Where did that discovery come from? Was your grandma a part of it or? Nope, it was, you know what? It was very chancy. So obviously I was always into art. I was always very creative. I knew that that was my passion. I did A-level art. Outside of my A-levels, I did a course in shorthand. Um, I don't know if you know, like T-line shorthand. You know, like how secretaries used to write in like, yeah. look, just looks like squiggles. Well, it's not. It's an actual, you know, it's a language. So <laughs> I went and learned T-line shorthand because I thought I'm going to be a journalist. I am going to write about the injustices in the world. So things I'm gonna... that when they do this scribbly stuff, that... Yeah. Other secretaries can read that. Yes. A, oh God, I didn't. That's that's yeah. a new piece of knowledge for me today. Listen, shorthand. I'll send you the book. I'll send you the book. You will be amazed. I the only thing I remember really, I can do like my A B C D blah blah blah. The word that I remember the most is the word sun because mm. it looks like a seed unraveling. So if you You're imagine so the beautiful. lines on your page, right, <sighs> the bottom line where you would write, imagine a little circle, but then it's just got a little like almost like an N coming down off it. Mm. Do you see? So it looks like a little seed, Lovely. and I just love that that sun, sun. you know, the I sprout, just... the sun, the seed. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Oh, right. Yeah. So even before I knew I was a poet, I kind of had this <laughs> outlook, you know. <laughs> I just I love, you know, creativity was, was always brewing. Yeah. So I did that, and then um, my A levels. I did well in my A levels. I was like flipping heck. Look at me go. You I know, go and do that. I know how the. Because at the time as well, I'd moved in with a boyfriend in Top Valley and that was very up, toxic. down, up, down. You know, yeah, it was... Oof, Did God. you have a, a lot of toxic relationships in your life, really, from everything you went You know what? There? My first boyfriend was, a again, the saying I always say, I don't even really know where it comes from, but a gem on this earth. Mm. He was a dream. I thought I was going to marry him and spend the rest of my life with him. I can say nothing wrong about that boy, but fucking muggins over here. Muggins. The next one I was with, I was with for. You didn't have four this philosophy years, of no. too nice, did you? No, oh, no, he no, was no, no. Too there nice, was a whole. You know what it was? There was another girl that he was very close with at school, and okay. I was jealous, and she was sporty, and so was he, and I wasn't, and you know, it all just unravels like it does when you're when you're young. I know it. I well. was like fifteen, you know. <laughs> 
Um, but no, the next guy I got with, I mean, I do think he was one of the great loves of my life. I really do. Mm. And he loved me in a way that I hadn't been loved up to that point by anyone. Uh, I remember wanting to go on the on a GCSE um, art trip to Paris. It was like 180 quid or something. And my mum and stepdad um, couldn't mm. pay for me to go. And I was gutted. Paris, as yeah. an art student, are you kidding? <laughs> I was, oh my God, I was beside myself. So he, and at the time he must have only been, I don't know, 17-ish, got, somehow got 180 quid and paid for me to go. Wow. Yeah. He loved I'd like me. to know how he got that. Yeah, well, I think you can imagine. <laughs> my guy, my guy. <laughs> you know, and he looked, if ever I needed him, God, he was there. He was like a stallion for me, like yeah. a white knight on the horse, except for he could not stop cheating on me. Ah. And it fucking broke me. The okay. last month that we were together, so we were living in Top Valley, I'm doing my A-levels. Um, uh, there were three different girls in the same month. And it just, I knew that Especially it was over. Especially for somebody that really needs validation in their life, that's going to stampede on your oh confidence, I've still it? been with him now, I think, yeah. you know, if he could have just loved me in a healthy way, you know. Mm. Um, but he just he just hurt me over and over again. And, um, you know, he like went on holiday with the rent money and didn't tell me. And it was just a, it was just a mess. Um, mm. But I got good A-levels. Amazing, you know? yeah. Um, and he, he was off on holiday, cheating on me on holiday with his mates and I found some pictures and I was like, you know what, fuck this, I'm applying to halls. Because I wasn't going to go into halls. I was going to move to Liverpool where I first went to uni um, with him and do a house share. Yeah. And he was cheating on me on holiday and I went, fuck this little prick. Yeah. And I rung the uni and I went into one of the last places in, in halls and it was the best thing I did. I went to do forensic science because I did a forensic science A-level and loved it. Um, but obviously I dropped out after a year because it was way too mathematical for me. Ah, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, he, you know, God, it was really complex and we went through a lot, um, together. Um, and I still have love for him. You know, we still sometimes quite, he's happy with, you know, an amazing relationship. He's got a gorgeous girl there, engaged to be married, like, you know, deserves the absolute world. Mm. But just at the time we were young and he was a fucking mob. Donut. No. Couldn't help himself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, guided it stays by his with you as a girl, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oh my God. And, okay, yeah, the, the poetry thing. We went on a lovely tangent over uh, here because I asked about... No, that's <laughs> how podcast should be, about relationships. Yes, yeah. But also in that time... You were doing creative writing? Yeah, so yes, I thought I was going to be like a journalist. So I was like, um, writing I could really blogs picture about. That. Yeah. Oh, I would have loved you it. You got the right you attitude know? for a journalist. I'm very yeah. like, I can't stand unfairness. Mm. I can't, it's, it's the thing that gets me in trouble all the time is kicking off at work when I shouldn't kick off or I should go about it a bit more professionally because I'm like, that's wrong. She's crying over there because this manager's, you know. Yeah. Um. So. Yes, so I was writing, I was still doing all of my drawing and stuff, and I was in Liverpool Uni at the time, and I knew very quickly that I'd made a bad choice. Mm. The lecturers, not all of them, but a couple of them were not friendly with ditzy old me. And at the time, I had a girlfriend and was super, super gay, shaven head, super tats, drinking every as soon as I found the gay scene in Liverpool there was not a day I was sober <laughs> not a day you know it was like two litres of cider before I went out let's go oh wow <laughs> it okay. was really you was know was it very colourful 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was best, best. I met the best. I made the most incredible friends that I love and miss to this day. You know, it was the best year of my life. And I needed it. Yeah. I needed to break away from toxic family, toxic boyfriend, feeling angry, not knowing who I was, what I was, you know, it, moving away from where I had literally no friends, knew nobody, mm. and was able to just be me, shave all my hair off, yeah. and go for it, you know, it was it was amazing. But um, whilst I was there, an incredible friend who, thank the Lord, I'm still friends with this day, shout out to Alice. Um, she always does my nails, she's incredible. Mm, and they're really um, nice as well. Get them to the thanks. camera. Yeah, yeah she's a friend. <laughs> There's a reason we um, film these, you know, yeah. they can show off. <laughs> Everybody as much as we go can. to Instagram and follow um, Studio Alice Lily. She's nice. A dream. Yeah. Um, and she brought me a poetry book. She she just she's an amazing gift giver and she brought me this poetry book called Mistakes in the Background by Laura Dockrell. Ooh. I don't know if you know Laura Dockrell. No. If you don't, check her out. Really? She was like, my, the the lid was blown off my head. Like, I was like, this is a bad bitch. She had poems about working in Argos. She had poems about like chavy boyfriends that had cheated on her. She had empowering poems that were about be who you are. Oh. Wear the fake tan, don't wear the fake tan. Wear granny pants, wear a thong. Who cares? Is she, and it, the, the book just, I was like, oh, poetry. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna look into this. I remember a, a bit of poetry from school, like mm. AQA, like, okay. I didn't know it could be like this. And, yeah, when you'd read it at school in the AQA, yeah. did you get a buzz from that? or? Yes, I was mm. interested in it, but I was, at the time I was still more creative writing. So yeah. I, my, we did our exams, and at the back end of your English exam, you have to write a creative writing piece, don't you? Mm. And I chose something like, describe your house, whatever. Mm. And like, you can imagine, I described this like fandangled, like, <laughs> upside down house with spots and like, go gadget staircases and whatever. Mate. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And the examiners wrote to the school. Really? And said, Georgina Wilding has written this, you know, whatever they said, great piece, blah, blah, blah. You should praise her for it. And my English teacher, Miss Hill, um, Another encouraged me, yeah. And she said, read it out. And I read it out and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Paraded around the school for yeah, it. This yeah. is me. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, imagination and like a sense of longing and understanding like complex emotions has always been in me. Mm. But I didn't really find an outlet for it until I found poetry really and okay. so what happened was so I'm in Union Liverpool yeah. forensic science gay as fuck living yeah. my best life you, <laughs> you know go George buttoned up shirts oh my god I met some oh god I had the most gorgeous girlfriend who I still love to this day um it was great um but I knew that my course was a bag of shit and I was never going to pass. And I thought right I'm the first one in my family to go to uni mm. and that in itself was a massive achievement considering everything that had happened so I thought I can't fuck this up if I stick around to try and make forensic science work for another year student finance only finance you for four years my mm. family ain't got no cash so if I manage to just pass first year but I fail second year yeah. well I've only got two more years how am I gonna graduate with only two more years what if I drop out I can't do another course because I can't afford it because they only pay for four years mm. and I've used one yeah so what was I going to do? So I had to make a decision and I really soul searched and was like, I'm going to do a course that is creative, but still has that professional element so I can get a job, mm. you know? And um, so I, 
I found and gutted, it was back in Nottingham. Can you imagine how heartbroken I was? Uh, <laughs> creative and professional writing at the University of Nottingham. Mm. So it was led by tutors who were working in the field. They were published. They'd got books out. They were professionals in the industry. Um, but also you were learning writing like SEO, how to write for the web. How do you write like a press launch? How do you, it was very like double-edged sword. Mm. So it honed your craft. Um, you got to do like editing workshops with your poetry and script screenwriting and, you know, but you had that hardcore, if you get a, you know, copywriting job, you're going to know what you're doing. Yes, yeah. Um, but I didn't have good enough A-levels to get into the University of Nottingham. Not so even with that like, amazing story you told. And, you know, well, yeah. but it's only now that I, I feel I can tell it at yeah. 30, you know, at the time. But it I still mean, felt... A-levels, you, you wrote that thing about the Oh, house. the GCSE, so thinking, yeah. Oh, that was GCSE. I should have, yeah, I should have. It sounds like A-star material, all this you know, stuff. But... Well, I got an A in English. Okay, so yeah. So I was very proud. But just not good enough to get into this particular... My A-levels, it was like A, B, C or something. I okay. Don't, I don't know. It wasn't, you know... Quite uni there. of you know red brick yeah and I thought if I'm doing this again if I'm going back to uni again I'm going to a red brick yeah. I'm going to go where the poshos are going mm. I'm going to go where the clout is so what do I need to do so very quickly I realized oh, I'm gonna have to do like an intensive another year doing an A-level in, in a year mm. so I ended up going to Adams College NCN in Nottingham for another year which was the bummiest year <laughs> smoking way too much made a load of riffraff mates again who I love and think of all the time um whilst I was there I expressed one of my tutors oh um really interested in creative writing I think I want to be a journalist something where I can still be creative do you know anything she said yeah yeah go and speak to whatever his name was this guy runs the college um like newspaper thing I said okay I'll go and speak to him I couldn't even tell you his name I met him once one time I met him, he, he had the whole, uh, what do you call it, black turtleneck oh, yeah. and hat <laughs> situation. And he said, <laughs> oh, um, hey, you know, if you're interested in creative writing, there's this group that meets every Friday at Nottingham Playhouse. They're called the Mouthy Poets. Hey. I said, oh, all right. And I remember him taking me on their website and showing me, like, he showed me Debris Stevenson mm. on the website. And he showed me um, Frank's Franklin. Um and they look like cool people. They look like my kind of people. So I was like, I'm going to go. I never went back to write the the college paper because my first session at Mouthy, you, hearing everybody else read what they've written, everyone was different. Yeah, Old, yeah. young, left, right, uh, posh, common, rich, whatever. All of the different kinds of person you could Just possibly themselves. imagine. Gay, straight, girly, tomboy, whatever. Yeah. Everybody was there. Everyone had their own voices. They had their own techniques. The misfits. Yeah. <laughs> found the tribe. The misfits. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's where it all started. And I would have been 20. Wow. You know, and I, it, that was it. That what was would, it. What would you say to a young artist, creative poet, listening to this and thinking about further education then? Would you say that did help you in some regards or...? Yeah, yes, and I'll tell you for why. So, I was in Mouthy Poets for a year before I got into my university course. Right, okay. So, already before I got to uni, I kind of knew about the scene. I knew what a spoken word was. I knew I could see the writers in the group that were writing amazing, and I knew I wasn't as good as them, but was going to learn and wanted to be as good they as them. They were your sort of pillars. Exactly. So, I was around people that I could learn from, which I think is so important. Like, mm. constantly be around people you can learn from. It's good when you... Just 
are conscious enough to be a guide though or be guided yeah well. and a lot of people get into a scene and quickly think they're the shit no so yeah, that can that. stop the progress and yes. probably puts you outside of it very quickly absolutely stunts your growth yeah, yeah if you're not looking up and thinking right who's doing this really well who yes. can i look towards yes. for that inspiration and become exactly yeah guy exactly you know i heard a really great quote a couple of weeks ago can't remember who said it i obviously saw it on facebook um, <laughs> and it was something was it about yeah maybe <laughs> maybe it was yeah it was some oh no you know what i think it was that woman from that spiritualist course that i went Ooh. on at the grantham magic cottage um she was talking about gatekeeping hey. or feeling like your journey is over and she was like like you know you're the shit you know everything and she was like imagine it's a winding road and you're you know facing up to the horizon and you're walking along and you're learning and you're learning and you're learning and you suddenly decide I know what I need to know you turn around then and face the path that you've just come from and you're stood at the gate mm. well if you're bouncer on the gate I'm the big I am I'll teach you this I'll teach you that no you can't come in because you're not academic enough you can't come in because you're working class you can't you're not in you're not in the journey anymore mm. you're gatekeeping halfway down the path hun yeah and and that's how i feel about in the arts in the creative metaphor right you've Mm. got to keep you you've got your tools and god the the further down you go you've got your armor but there are a million side shoots for you to go down that you're going to learn something you never miss so much on the way yeah you know yeah so that's i think for me like if i'm gonna definitely keep hold of that one honestly i'm gonna send you a link to that woman yeah i wish i could remember her name she was great awesome um so I think that really just like trying your hard, you know, we all have chips on our shoulders. Mm. I did when I was in spoken word. I didn't give a fuck about Paige. It was like, what, some dusty old academic man that cares where the commas go yeah. is going to tell me whether I can be on a page or not. I'm not interested. I thought I'm, I've got stories to tell that I want to I want to entertain people. I want to, you know, and that's actually very close minded. Mm. And I actually shut myself off from a whole art form that I am now in love with. Yeah. I love writing for the page. It's so it's so different. It's such a different experience and you have to like click in a different side of your brain and it's amazing. Mm. Um but it's all part of that learning curve, you know. You just got to stay in it and keep going and yeah. write and when I first was at Mouthy, I couldn't write a poem unless it rhymed. Yeah. Now I very rarely rhyme. And that was a huge That does seem um a development for a lot of artists. Yeah. Beginning very rhymey and then finding the way to half rhyme or not rhyme yes and uh, yeah i wonder what that is but it, yeah. it, everyone's don't yuck someone's yum kind of thing no oh god Just, no if they found their way of expressing and putting it forward exactly and they enjoy that rhythm yes. and feeling i suppose the reason we go to rhyme is because it gives you a bit of a parameter to hit it does and also it's addictive because yeah it's a challenge and a lot of us we've been brought up on m&m exactly the, oh my god whoever exactly. else yeah, yeah. That could mention so and many you've different got a rap preconceived idea as well about what poetry is haven't you yeah it's like when you're young and you're getting into it you think you've got to be all like use these really long complex words that you would never use in your day-to-day speech and rhyme and you know have I got to fit to a form and Mm. so I think that you when you first start trying to rhyme you real you get the buzz of it yeah like how can I tell my story but make it rhyme and flow and it's exciting isn't it but to listen to people get into that rhythm of it the beat and they're nodding along yes and by a byproduct of that you're telling your story and they're understanding you but I do yeah having like a sentence and then being able to look at the end of it and think okay what does that word rhyme with yeah that really does help people structure it It and be able to start building from that yeah so if you can find a way of helping somebody 
tell their story. Exactly. That is important. But yeah. as you know, when you get stuck in a pattern yeah. or way of telling it, yeah. you need a little, maybe sometimes a breather from it because you, you just get worn out and tired yeah. of it. Yeah, and but, it restricts your story. Yeah, yeah. What if you wanted to say... Come. that plant down there is bright red and you ain't got nothing to rhyme with red yeah suddenly now you can't tell your story you, you, you're down the path of saying something about your head yeah, and you're exactly. like no well, that's actually you... yeah. i wanted to go into the color exactly <laughs> <laughs> get, get, getting my hands going there all over the go. place now the, pa- the passion's <laughs> come in it's, uh, it's, it's brewing true. baby two parents together you know what i mean yeah. it's gonna happen <laughs> around yeah. here. i'm so surprised this mic has stayed Mate, here i'm you, waiting to like whack it you've been very controlled over there. You told me I was expecting a massive show with hands and things flying around, but no. You've yeah, been I'm trying. Very reserved. Thanks. We're still passionate. Thank you. I'm doing my best. So Mouthy was a huge pivotal moment in oh, essence yeah. for you. In my life, my career, my life, everything, yeah. 100%. And you met the most amazing people. Yep. Went on this course. Yep. And then what started happening in the scene for you in the poetry? Yeah. Performing all the time? Or like, I don't know, once a month or something, like a little pub gig, a little back room, you know, (laughs) how we all, that's what we love really, isn't it? Like the intimate gigs where you can talk and chat with the audience afterwards. But that was really what it was. But the good thing about Mouthy is that they used to put on two shows a year at Nottingham Playhouse. And it wasn't just like an open mic, get up and have a read. It was a cultivated set. And everybody who'd been writing towards the show, we found different ways to tie each other's poems in together and make this whole like one band show almost. And there was lighting and choreography and it was a real thing. Because poetry Um, can be quite an individual sort of journey, can't it? God, yes. But to be able to feel part of a community and all be in there together and sharing, I suppose that gave you a good sense of, I've got a family now. Yes. Mm. And belonging as well because... And that family from what you'd not felt before... Yes. Mm, must have yeah. been a real nice feeling of being accepted for yeah. just being you. It was, and I was around creative types as well. Like, I was around people who not thought the same as me, but had that, like, creative inclination and also had that longing, mm. that thing where you're, you're never quite anchored. Yeah. And, I, and there were a lot of people there that I identified with with that feeling as well. So I was very grateful for that. Oh, mate. Well, go on. <laughs> well done, Malfi. <Woo-hoo>! I <laughs> know. And uh, you're like... In your thirties now, thirty. Yeah, I'll be thirty-one in Whoa, October. We getting old together. I know. Suddenly, all the competitions don't want to talk to you no more. Yeah. You're over 30. <laughs> Great. So you've you've been in the scene for quite some time. Yeah. And your books only just got. This is your first collection. Yep. Debut. First time in print. Debut. Yeah. My debut. Debut, baby. Exactly. <laughs> How come it's taken you such a while then to actually get something out there? In paper form. Yeah. <laughs> I'll um, hold it up to the camera. Oh, my God. There we go, squad. Have it's a real. ganders at that. I know. It's, I, I'm obsessed with it. Hagstone. Yes, that cover illustration is done by an incredible local artist called Emily Catherine Illustration. Oh, I know her. Everybody should find her because she's yeah. unbelievable. She's doing, like, album covers for American Does rappers. she do really cool hip-hop style yeah, stuff? Yeah, she does. Oh, mate, yeah. She's yeah. very, very talented. Yeah, she is. Going to get her down here one time. Yeah, you should. She, she'd be working with the kids honestly, really well, wouldn't she? Yes, yeah. 
absolutely. She's, she teaches in school all the time, spraying and stuff. Like, Amazing. Yeah, she's, she's, she's There's a lot of phenomenal people in Nottingham, isn't there? Yes, it is the place. The creative scene, just see, it's very accepting as well, I found. Yeah, it's Beautiful cooking. place. Absolutely cooking with talent and different little niches. And there's mm. something for everyone. Yeah, it's but the place to be. Why, yeah, why so long? You know what? Because, <laughs> because. So when I was in Mouthy, you know, you'd got poets at different stages of development. So some people were putting pamphlets out. And so I was being taught, and also at uni as well, you know, very like, I was aware of the traditional academic gatekeepery slash hoops you have to jump through. So I knew, okay, if I self-publish, I'll never be accepted by a traditional publisher. And in in my mind, a traditional publisher can give you some things that self-publishing can't. So I was like, okay, I don't want to jeopardise my chances in case I ever want to put a collection out or mm. whatever so I held off and held off and held off and then I started to learn about the differences between a pamphlet and a collection or a chat book and a collection and I was like right well I wouldn't know how to write a collection because it's not just oh wax some poems together yeah, yeah no you're curating a world and a journey and one poem's got to talk to the next poem and the next and the next and the next and they're all interlinked mm. and they put one poem next to this kind of poem and it'll have one reaction but put it next to that poem it could have a reaction you never even imagined mm. could happen mm. so there was so much for me to learn about publishing about the industry about prizes about you know how do you get reviewed in the guardian i don't know what do mm. they do ring you up yeah. you certainly can't ask them you know so there was this whole... got book out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly they'd be like who are you you know so there was just so much learning. I was so scared to put anything in print in case it jeopardised the me that I was going to be in the future. Mm. So I think that's really what it was. But then when I was at uni, I was learning a different kind of poetry to the poetry I was learning and exploring in Mouthy. Mm. So I learned a lot about imagist poetry. Have you ever looked up imagist poetry? No. Oh my God, it'll blow your mind. So there's a penguin collection that's yeah. like the penguin collection of imagist poetry. And it was completely different to anything I'd ever looked at. So imagine I'd come up in spoken word telling my stories and yeah. it's all I, me and we and they and, you know, it's all very, like, centred around the self. Imagist poetry is this technique where you don't talk about yourself at all. Ooh. There is no I, but there is. It's underlying. So it's almost like pathetic fallacy. You know, if you want to say that your writer's in a bad mood, you say it's raining outside. It's kind of like that, but a million, trillion bazillion times better uh. it's like you suddenly so let's take this cup so let's say I, I want you to know my reader that i'm in a good mood this is going to be crap by the way but i would say you know sunshine yellow fresh meadow flowers a cup that holds you know the juice for the day Ooh. bean juice gets me going whatever right yes yeah, yeah. But if i wanted to say i'm fucking fuming i would say piss yellow cup oh weeds cold coffee Ain't nothing in here for me, mate. Well, I couldn't say that because that's putting the you in it. But you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly I, get, yeah. I was like, oh. So, because I, I had all It's not as invasive, is it? Yeah, it's kind of like sneaky. Mm, it hide felt behind like, it a little. And the imagery in it. Like, imagination is my favourite thing, mm. right? And so you have to be imaginative to paint this image in this world. Um, and some of it can seem simplistic. Some of it will absolutely blow your mind. And it's like you're getting a deeper insight into that person's yeah. mindset and philosophy. Yeah, because you're like, 
you know, why are we talking about a pebble? Why yeah, do we care about the, a pebble? Yeah, the items used, the coloration used, yes. everything within that. Yeah. You're rooting around their experience a little bit deeper. Exactly. So you suddenly start, something just unlocked for me. Mm. And then it was, I wrote like that for like a year. I was obsessed. Wow, I that's was cool. Just, yeah. So then I was combining that with working on the stage. Because obviously, when you're talking to an audience, you've got to be crisp, clear. They've got to hear your messages like they're, mm. your images like they're uh, seeing them in front of them. Otherwise, they're processing what you've just said and you're already three, four lines down the road. Yeah. You've lost them. Yeah. You've lost them. So it was so addictive, like marrying those worlds together mm. of that page world where people can digest it and wonder like, why are we looking at a pebble? What does that mean? Whereas on the stage, you've got yeah. to go for it. And you use metaphor in a different way and it's both has like an exciting richness to it that it's its own. So uni really upped my skill set. Yes. Upped my understanding, upped my interest, changed me as a writer, whereas mouthy... Sword and shield. Exactly, absolutely, exactly. (laughs) And all of my career opportunity came from mouthy. Mm. Uni didn't give me one single extracurricular anything. Mouthy, we were going on teaching placements in schools, shadowing the pros, running workshops with kids, running workshops with teenagers. We were getting scholarships to go to Arvon Writers' Residencies. It's like £600 a person. Mm. And we were getting scholarships, applying through Mouthy and trying to be, you know, the contestants that got picked and going for a five-day writing retreat with the greats, Caroline Bird, Roger Robinson, Claire Pollard, like... Oh my God, Patricia Smith, Jacob Samler Rose. What? I've been taught by those people, mm. Dean Atta. Yeah. Because of Mouthy, not because of uni. So having that. That gives like a niche. more real, yes. wholesome aspect to it. It's getting you out on the streets doing yeah, it. Yeah, and you're learning your world. Mm. You're learning your industry. So Nick you've McCoy, had the polarity, like. haven't you? You've had the sort of academia side of things. I feel, yes. Also, you've had the real life experience that's so integral. And I think that's sometimes people's problem or mistake is they go too far down one path. Yeah, I think it's that thing of just like picking up as many tools as you can. Yeah, but it's also that's it. tricky if you don't know that that tool exists. Mm. So with, I feel like with every new step you take, you're still in this position like, so what am I supposed to do? Mm. Who am I supposed How do I get an agent? Yeah. Flipped if I know. Yeah. How do I book a tour? Or how, do, you know, the, uh, things you don't even know you need to know. Yeah. So it's still, it's tricky, it's, you know, but that's why I think it, it is good to try and have all these different influences and learn from different people and just it's, and... it's knowing who you are, what you're about, how you process things, but yes. just being open at every opportunity. And even yeah. if you go down, say, an academic side and a course, yeah. And all you think is, this isn't for me, this isn't for me, this isn't for me. Yep. You're not going to learn anything within it. Shut yourself off. But absolutely. if you can be within it and go, okay, I'm not really vibing this to the degree I'd like to, yeah. but I'm going to try and find lessons within it. Yeah. That's where you can keep on progressing and finding tools to exactly. to work with along the in, in the industry. Exactly. Mm. And there is just so much to know. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, poetry is an art form. Yeah. So there, it's taste as well. So you've yeah. got to find out... Who do you like reading? Yeah. Who do you like watching? Why? Is there something that they do that you would like to try and do in your own way? Is there something that they do that 
you know, you think, wow, I'd love to be able to achieve that, you know, in 10 years time, career wise, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, it's all about knowing the landscape as well as enjoying putting pen to paper, which is sometimes the hardest bloody thing to do. So, and, and you did. Yeah. <laughs> Finally it did it. Yeah. So something you said within there mm-hmm. and the, the journey you went on. Mm-hmm. It's creating a world. Yes. Is what, when you're building a book like this yes. into page, uh-huh. can you explain what that world is yes. to people? I would so love to. Yeah. So, obviously, you don't start out knowing this. Let me just make that super clear. Like, you start out with every poem you've ever written. Thankfully, I got some Arts Council funding to get a mentor and was so blessed to work with Caroline Bird, who I gave a, every poem I'd ever written. And she said, I'm going to read everything I've written. I'm going to do, obviously she didn't say it in these words, but she said, I'm going to do a shit pile. I'm going to do a maybe pile. I'm going to do a yes pile. I'm going to do a pile that like has similar themes. So that is where I would encourage anyone to start, by the way. If you mm. if you want to do your own collection and you haven't yet, try to organise everything into themes, into piles, print it all out, trash your bedroom, get it, you know, your poems everywhere. Um, and so she spent, you know, a few weeks with them and then... I met her and she said, right, you are definitely trying to say something. You, your poetry is exploring a sense of self. It's exploring home. She was like, you're obsessed with home. Somehow you work, you work into like every poem that you write, some kind of sense of belonging, sometimes some kind of sense of not feeling at home within yourself. Mm. I've got po- poems where there are like little people running in, around inside my body or poems where the literal house is having a breakdown and is crying and the terraces have had to budge closer in to hold the house up you know she was like I don't think you realize what you're doing but you're doing something so that unlocked my mind then and then we went on this whole journey to figure out what it is that I was trying to say and do and writing to different prompts Um, and eventually we get to Hagstone the manuscript Um, what the hell (laughs) that's just so crazy so crazy to even say um And so, in its fully-fledged form now, for me, Hagstone is a book that explores the interconnection between sex, broken homes, working-class girlhood, identity, and kind of, like, reveals that all of them things are way more intertied than we might actually think that they are Mm. on the surface. They all thread within one another, and they all are, like you know, little mini-explosions, little, you know, sand in the, the, um, what do you call it? clam oyster thing that makes the pearl what do you call it it's a clam in it it's a clam it's clam yeah you know what i mean grit the sand, in the shell all that the sand in the shell yeah <laughs> um so it's so for me i keep talking about vibration that book to me vibrates yeah there is so much tension in there and in that world uh, most of the poems are set in very ordinary everyday situations you might be in a childhood bedroom you might be on a park you might be on the high street you might be sat at your dinner table but we use magic realism to turn that whole world and that whole metaphor on its head. So we might be sat at a table having a cup of tea. Suddenly, the table is actually a dog. Oh, it's your childhood dog. Oh, it's the dog that you saw your stepdad kick across the kitchen and lock in the shed. Oh, it's the... Now the dog's a lion and it's come back and bit his head off. This is just a silly mm. example. but You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Um, It's a book that uses magic realism to kind of reclaim some of the things that happened to me young that were painful. Mm. To kind of reclaim how it happened or reclaim the ending. or The first chapter, so it's a three-part book. The first chunk of the book, I wanted to say chapter, but that's not right. You know what I mean? The first chunk of the book is that feeling of 
powerlessness, things happening to you, feeling out of control, feeling, you know, at the whimsy, is your dad going to turn up, isn't he? Is your mum going to stick up for you, isn't she? What are you going to do? You're grounded. You, ain't, you can't go nowhere, you ain't got no money. You know, mm. um, so being an adult, looking back on that time and being able to use magic realism to unlock that sense of powerlessness and, you know, there's a poem in there where we take comfort in a suitcase the suitcase moves and opens and tucks you inside it and holds you it's kind of a healing experience but also a way to talk about I didn't felt feel held as a kid but if I just said dear reader I never felt held as a kid yeah who cares it's boring yeah you know where's the art where's the craft where's the you know? Yeah. Um, so in this world, in, in the world of Hagstone, we explore that surrealism and it really it hoiks up and up and up the further through the book you get. Um, so the three sections are, it's all one timeline, but we're checking in at different ages and experiences throughout the timeline. So part one is powerlessness. Part two, you're suddenly in that jostle for power. The, 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 the tectonic plates are pushing together. There's mm. going to be an explosion. You're making mistakes, terrible mistakes, but they're yours. You're living them. You're mm. finding yourself. You're owning them. Exactly. Mm. You're, you're, especially like there are some things written about in there that took me 10 years to write about because wow. they were so painful and so complex to understand and even be able to talk about. Um, and then the third section of the, the book is almost standing in the wreckage of that jostle for power. So you're looking around at the world, how you see it now, maybe maybe jaded or maybe empowered or maybe... It, it, it depends how you, as a reader, put yourself into it. Mm. Um, for me, I really enjoyed writing with what I felt was like a Disney villain badness mm. in that third third section. I felt like I was... Um, Stepping into like my villain era, you know. There's a poem where I'm the shadow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm doing the shadow work, except <laughs> this is a little bit, you know, on the edge of toxic. But I'm stepping into my Disney villain, um, shape shifting and killing men in Ooh. these poems. You know, I'm pretending to be their coffin and then slipping out and letting them lay in the ground naked, like they did when they laid with me. Ooh. You know, evil. Um, and I actually thought, when I was working with Caroline, I thought I was empowered. I thought that was empowered. And the third section to me, the way it was originally organised, was, uh, so you've got your powerless, you jostle for power, and now you've got the power. Mm. And she was like, girl, you need to think again. Because you think this is powerful, but it's powerful in the sense that, you know, the ex-girlfriend that's been cheated on smashes a boyfriend car up. It's mm. sad. Yeah. There's a sadness to it and a bitterness to it. And I felt like I'd been to a psychic medium because she unlocked my world now. And I was like, oh, yes. I may feel empowered because I am able to be who I am now, but there is a sadness in it. And I need to find peace and not be being so reactive and not being fuck men and mm. fuck authority and you ain't gonna tell me what to do because it's not rooted in who I am anymore what it's rooted in what attitude. oh mate flipping heck good god it's easy to say yeah, it's easy to, yeah. to do it in the real world you know a different thing but that, that yeah life isn't that linear and absolute and it's a good or bad we spoke of it before it's this nuance yes and that sort of there is always a bit of sweetness and something in the middle that you can discuss yes. and have a conversation around absolutely yeah yeah yeah. and the fact and so once the manuscript was coming together and it was clear that I was just really reaching for magic realism surrealism to to get across the things I wanted to say in a profound way in a way where you're 
I, f- I feel magic realism is a way to say so much mm. with just so little, which is what you have to do in poetry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Every word counts, right? Um, and the idea of the title Hagstone came to me because of the mythology behind Hagstone. So there's loads of mythology around it. They're so, so interesting. But the story that I resonated with the most is if you have a Hagstone and you look through the hole of the stone, the magic realm of you know the fairy or the fae as they like to say is revealed to you so you and I are doing this podcast now for all we know there could be you know a gremlin sat on the end of this table mm. if you you know there could whatever the bus could actually be we're inside a whale you know yeah um and the theory behind them is that way 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 back in the day where you had your local wise woman or witch depending on you know what side of the fence you sit on let's say you have a farm all of your farm animals are sick can't figure out why they're sick they keep coming ill no matter you get new animals they keep falling sick now suddenly family's sick oh now you keep losing all your stuff what is going on you go to the local wise woman and say look i need help there is so much trauma in my life and i'm having so much bad luck what's going on she's likely to give you a hagstone and say take a look around your house babe because somebody has sent a curse down your chimney and it is living among you or your neighbour who you think is your friend who's gifted you this amazing vase. Mm. Babe, it's not a vase. Get it's got vase a curse on it. Right? the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> and it blew my mind because I was like, I wish I'd had a hagstone yeah. growing up, looking at that boyfriend and seeing, he ain't a boy, he's a demon. Uh. I should not touch him. Looking at my home situation and going, snakes, venom. So it gives you curse. an eye into the truth. Yes. For me, it's almost like the book is also a hagstone for the reader to look through a timeline and see what's really at play. Mm. See what was really happening at home or what's really happening when you're trying to find your sexuality and who you are or what's really happening when you're a working yeah. class girl with a chip on your shoulder. Gives them an opportunity to do that. Because like we said all the way through this podcast, there's three truths. Yes. That one, this one and the one that actually happened. Exactly. The big word on actually. Yeah. And that's the sort of idea of what hagstone's doing yes the yeah. deep inner exactly mm. magic Ma- yeah, and also it's a great magic. way for me to proper hike up the magic in the book yeah. and say things like you know the the suitcase is tucking you in or you know you've got little people running inside your body or you know all of the 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 real magic that's happening in there Stunning. you know it's like the readers looking through a hagstone you think we're just on a park but suddenly the boys are floating up to the telephone lines and something's going on oh you see yeah so when this got published and yeah. actually came to your door in the box yes you're opening it up mm-hmm. what was that feeling like oh god you know it was kind of a numb shock which sounds pathetic because you just spent two years writing it babe so why are you shocked hmm. but it was a uh, it's in my hands I like i've done it i've done it I- that's what was ringing in my head I've then. Done I've done it. I've done it. Mm. I, you know, coming up, flashback to 20. Oh, God, yeah, and a big yeah. old drink. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was like, I, I, I can't believe... When I got the acceptance email from Verve, like, it's competitive to get accepted by Verve. And I originally submitted only for a pamphlet. And Verve got back to me and said, look, we know your work. We love the pamphlet. If we gave you an extended timeline, would you be willing to do a full collection with us? Wow, I bet that was a nice email to receive. Again, I cried. Like, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. Think back to that 15-year-old kid on the floor, drunk, full of vodka, Yeah. not wanting to go home, doesn't give a fuck about school, Does no idea, no idea. Hmm. That, oh, hold on, you're being accepted by the 
what you would have deemed as the academic world of publishing and somebody's taking a financial risk on you. And it got shortlisted at a few other presses as well. Wow. What? You know, it was just, I just felt like I w wished I could go back to that little me and go, girl, everything it's gonna is coming. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be hard. There's yeah. loads you're going to go through yet, but you're going to do some stuff for yourself that you won't even believe. Your story is going to be told and it's going to yeah. be one that people want to listen to. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. You matter. That's powerful. Yes. Yeah. When you're talking to young people, they just don't think their voice matters. Yeah. They don't have a voice. Yeah. What's the point of finding it and discovering it and yeah. using it? Yeah. But to have that kind of philosophy and idea of no... Yeah. It will come out eventually. You just need to yeah. believe in it. And the person it will matter to most is you. Yeah. You, like to look, you know, on my worst days, and God, there are many because look at this life that we all live, you know, it's complex. On my worst days, when I'm like, George, you are a fucking idiot. You're a stupid bitch. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And I talk myself down. All of everything I've managed to achieve is the thing that I stop myself from doing something stupid mm. i think girl you came this far you have been the poet laureate of nottingham mm. you have been the creative director of nottingham poetry festival you have a collection out you say it like that you could have you know what i mean yeah yeah and then you big yourself up with what you have been able to achieve despite everything mm. and it's even if the guardian never picks that up i mean yeah. you know here let's manifest I know. They're watching this, so oh, imagine! <laughs> God, on. what a dream! <laughs> you know, but you know what I mean. Even if it if it doesn't do what quote unquote it's supposed to in the book world, you know, blah blah blah. It did what it needed to do for me, mm. and I was able to find out things about me and tell a story that I never. That's thought what I'd be poetry able to is tell. for me. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is mostly. And I think it is subjective and you need to know what it is for you. Yeah. And if you want to go on that pursuit of becoming a really established poet and how they write, yeah. that's a wonderful and fine path to go down. It's, yeah. But I, I kind of did that discovery of myself of I just really wanted to be heard for a minute God. and just have a platform, yeah. have a voice and... I did what I needed to do and it was yes. that itch was scratched yes. and from that I found other interests like the filmmaking side of things or the yes. musical side of things. And Suddenly it, you unlock yourself. It, yeah, it was it was passion that yes. was the thing and I didn't realise that. I thought I am a poet and it yeah. was very rigid. Yeah. So people asked, what do you do? Poetry, bosh. Yes. Yeah. But then actually what ensued was somebody that just wanted to be accepted, be yeah. loved, be validated. Yeah. But have a thing, have yes. a purpose to get up and Give go and back. explore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's my poetry journey, really. And it's amazing. I've still really enjoyed the exploration of what does make a good poem, though. Yeah. What is cool imagery and, yeah, yeah, metaphor and how you. And then you do add in techniques down the line yeah. because it keeps it fresh yes. and fascinating. Yeah. But I totally see the appeal of going down the full line of making something that can be accepted by the poetry community and yes, so on. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, so I had two years as Poet Laureate, which was the best time ever. My good God, it was so great. And within that role, you're writing to commission. So you're, so I, I took it, because every laureate is different. 
I took it as I am here to hear the story that someone's got to tell and tell it in a way that will do something for them mm. or shine a light for them or, you know. Help them own their story. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was being booked by, you know, Wildlife Trust and they were like, we, we really want to talk about urban rewilding. We've got this massive eco drive, but, you know, the councillors aren't listening to us. What can we do? I was booked to then write for them and write a piece about, you know, the natural world, eco, whatever. And I went with them to their debate with at, at the council house with the councillors and, and, and helped them to learn how to perform their poems to camera. So then they suddenly have this tool that they can go and spread their eco poetry and, and their message and be empowered with their voices. And it was amazing. So, you know, the university would book me and say, oh, we've got this... Um, day that we want to celebrate and we need a, a poet to to write us something you know I've had a university brief sent to me as a spreadsheet hmm. and it was like we need to talk about this business that needs to include this quote it needs to include all these startups that we've held you know and somehow you've got to turn that into something creative hmm. and it's a joy to do it's puzzle piece entertaining it's yeah. a different side of your brain it for me I see it as like okay so I've got to get my poetry brain and like my marketing brain to talk to each other hmm. right and and tell the tell the story for other people and before then I was in Mouthy Poets and I wasn't interested in writing super deep stuff about my story. I was scared. You know, my family are all around. I didn't want to upset anyone. I didn't know what I could and couldn't say. I was scared. So I was like, I'm just going to entertain, entertain the audience. Yeah. I'm going to write some really funny poems or some really, you know, whatever. Yeah. Spent all this time f spending my energy and my creative intentions on f f trying to be telling stories for other people. Mm. And as my laureateship term came to an end, just as I was starting to go to writing retreats, all the stuff about me was coming out. Couldn't write nothing without it creeping up, without stuff that had happened 10 years ago that I you know, didn't, couldn't even talk about in a room, suddenly was coming out in all of my poems. My brain was just taking me there. And it was almost like spending all those years unlocking the creative potential to other people's stories for other people to having that problem solving brain of yeah yeah all right you help 10 local businesses start up who cares how can i say that in a way that's moving and empowering mm. all of that i feel was divine intervention mm. to unlock that knowledge in me to be able to do that for myself that's such a lovely way of putting it you know yeah, that's beautiful Thank you. That's, that's how it feels. Honestly, yeah. that is how it feels. I could never have done anything That gave me like goosebumps as you were saying it. I was like, this, I know where this is going and I'm really Thank enjoying you, it. Thank you, you dreamboat. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's really true though. Like I, I would encourage any writers, try to write to breathe. Mm. Like ring around your family and say, hey, do you want a poem? Let me know what you want it to be on. Yeah. And your family might say, oh, my pet dog. And so then you're like, right, tell me everything you could possibly tell me about your pet dog. You've got all your content. Now you've got to go away and make a good poem out of it. Mm. It unlocks something new. It's hard. It's hard. It's programming hard. part of your brain to yeah. go, okay, this is how we express ourselves. Yes. And then eventually it all comes flooding through. Yeah. And you get to purge and come out with an amazing book like this one. Yeah. I keep holding it up. I, I feel like I'm quite good at marketing now. Yes, thank you so much. I'm yeah. going to employ you. Yeah, yeah. Be my tour manager. Thank you. I mean, would you come back on? Because I've got such a nice feeling and vibe with you on so many different avenues I feel we could explore down. Yes. The poetry scene's one, definitely. Thank you. There's so many stories where you said the laureate, yeah. you met the mouthy poets, yeah. you've been working for... And I thought... 
There's too much chunk of meat there. This would be the world's <laughs> longest podcast. Yeah, everyone would be falling asleep. Yeah. Oh my God. Get the We're nearly two hours in. You're kidding. No, no. Oh We've God. smashed it to pieces. Kindred spirits, I'm telling so, you. Survive. And I was just listening going, you need to have a podcast as well. Have you thought of that yet? Oh God. Have you dived into the podcast I, world? I haven't. I love, Ooh. as you can tell, chatting shit. Yeah. <laughs> But no, because no, I feel God, the no. chapters of your life, the crazy bits, people would really enjoy engaging in on. Thank you, and then getting a bit more of an understanding of who you are as a character. That so it's so kind of you. Thank yeah, you. Thank I, you. I, I will definitely be getting you back on. Yes. But before we do go, <laughs> yes, could you read another poem and one of oh the ones gosh. that you think would summarize this podcast nicely or? Have Oof. you got Hagstone in there? Is that a poem? Hagstone. You know what? I never wrote a poem called Hagstone. Okay. I didn't want to be. Um, I didn't want to explain too much. <laughs> so even like in the opening of the book, which was well hard to figure out what to say, by the way, I didn't want to tell people what to think. Yes. So I all I did was write a description of what Hagstone is. Which shall I read? Yeah. Shall I read that? So it literally just says, item Hagstone. A hagstone is a stone with a naturally occurring hole running through it, usually found in streams, rivers or at the seashore. They're considered a talisman for many reasons, but in particular due to their ability to gift anyone who peers through the hole the sight, mm. the ability to see the supernatural at work all around us. Should you fall victim to relentless bad luck, illness and or general misfortune, it's likely a spell has been placed on you someone around you, or something that you've recently brought into the home. Peering through a hagstone will reveal the malevolence at hand and allow you to treat, defeat, or accept it accordingly. Ooh. You wow. Know? I liked it, that the sight. Thank That's you. That's a good uh, description well, a of somebody's story and being able to get a true vision of the sight. Thank you. And in terms of malevolence, let's, yeah, get a poem there, you feel... You've opened that up and we've got that hagstone in our hands. How We're exciting. getting an insight into you. Okay, shall we do... I'm trying to think, should we do a rowdy one or should we do a moody one? I think rowdy. I think, okay. Well, now you've said it's that. A, it's a lovely exactly. day. The, the sun's out and I'm ready to go into it with full energy, full right. rowdiness. So, we're behind the door of the poems, aren't we now? So, yeah. let's... Uh, this is uh, Teenage Years on Red Hill Wreck in that kind of middle section of the book where you're rebelling and finding yourself. Some of these things are true. Some of these things I will let you decide whether they are true. So it's called (laughs) After It. Some of us cry about our mothers, then spritz another layer of Charlie Red. We spin into a paste on the roundabout, drip from the seats into stalactites, which the others snap off and eat like Skegness Rock. Empty cans thrown overhead are rockets we try to straddle, but miss. Instead, we straddle our lovers. In bushes, up banks, in cars, curled over the steering wheel or a bench or a bin, we hold ourselves up, spread our cheeks and let the boys in, wet with the stickiness of the day and nothing else. The mud of the football field is littered with the last burning butts of a million cigarettes. It's as if all the stars have fallen and we're standing on them in trainers. Each of us bear things. Me, a grudge against the boy who promised me the condom in his sock, but later stretched it over his head, blew it up through his nostrils. Now he's floated to the telephone lines and there's a crowd balanced on each other's shoulders to pull him back down. 
Origami swans folded from Rizzlers walk the park. We have the boys piss in a nearby ditch so they have a pond to swim in and admire the things we can bring to life. The night backs away from us, turns its face as the last cigarette burns out. We threaten, please don't go, I'll eat you whole, and scramble towards the black. The field blooms with crawling girls, knees caked in ash and mud, reaching for the corners of the knight's coat. Some of them think they've found a pocket, climb inside and promise to sleep. Others use their hair grips to stab it down in its tracks, pin it to the soil, spread it out like a tent floor. The crying starts, echoes bounce between the trees and the coat slips to a single thread across the horizon. The hard slap of morning shuts our mouths. Wow. There you go. You did have a good life, didn't you? Oh my God, <laughs> rowdy. The bits in now is like, true, true, yeah. true, true. So yeah, I'm going to say that was all oh, definitely you. a good insight and truth. But you know, it's all that feeling of longing. Like, look, yeah. we didn't give a fuck about them, but we didn't, you know, we were, we were chasing the night. We were yeah. chasing something more. We were... What was your place called? It was Red Hill Wreck. Red Hill yeah. Wreck, yeah. awesome. We were known as the Wreck Lot. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. Oh, we yeah. had Crosley Park. Hey, hey. there you go. <laughs> Mate, honestly, we should have been crossing paths. So I'm telling many you. moments in there, and it was just <laughs> a real nice nostalgia feeling coming through. Good. Oh, them days. Did Good. you do tramping out ever? Oh, my God, yes. Tramp. Yes, you, you yes, You told yes. your mate you were staying at their house. Yeah. They say they were staying at your house. Listen, there's a whole story about that that involves the police <laughs> and a missing girl. She went missing. She was with Whoa. me and I was with her, but they thought I was over there. Oh, oh my God, whole thing, yeah. I told you. We could go we for hours. more podcasting. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> story in itself. We could, We'll yeah. pick some themes and maybe we... Do a poem, one yeah. of your poems, yeah. and then that'll take us into a few Stories. story modes. Love, great that, idea. That was beautiful, and it? it did set me into a good mood for the day. That has. good. I'm really, really glad. Me too. It's oh, so lovely man. to hang out with you. It's been really nice, hasn't it? I don't yeah. think I've ever actually got to sit with you and yeah. discover who you are because and what you're about. Because we're always gigging. Yeah, you know, you're always panicking about going up and doing a set. Moving, and, you know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's so been this amazing. Is a dream, and it's a bloody honour to be sat here in this van with in this background you know in the sweat bus box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know boiling outside but hey ho dude honestly i look forward to this again with you uh, we'll get you down for many things like we'll do stuff for the kids and yes. workshops uh, oh you're such an inspiring person they'd thank love you. to meet you that means the world thank some you some of them poems i think that they're ready for to be honest they'll understand it oh, they'll be on great. your language good i'm but glad <laughs> before we go just tell everybody where they can find you and particularly holding it up again yes. where they can find this beautiful book oh my gosh thank you okay <laughs> so if you want to find me you can find me just by searching for georgina wilding on twitter facebook and instagram um and you can buy the book um, um, in like god waterstones five leaves if you're in nottingham but you can buy it through the publisher which i would recommend Ooh. through the verve website we've got to support our indie publishers you, haven't we? you've been taught well yeah there you go <laughs> they need you know they need all especially at the minute they need all the help they can get you know so right. let's support our publishers they're doing the good work publishers yeah. local business exactly. just go to real people exactly you know what I mean? everyone head to verve dude this has been <laughs> lovely thank you for your time i'll do my bit Guys, you've been a part of the Old Farm Bus, Back of the Bus Sessions podcast. I'm going to leave you on this. I always do. I always will. 
just be nice to one another, you beautiful set of buggers. That's all you gotta do. See you later. Yeah. Cheers.